When you envision the ideal experience for your brewery guests, point of sale probably isn't at the top of your list. It's the transactional finality to their visit. What you need is a point of service. Arrived is the first mobile, flexible, customizable point of service system built for craft breweries. It adapts and grows with you on-premise and online. Your staff will love the simplicity, your managers will love the world-class support team, and your guests will love that they can get the same delicious beer with the same amazing service from anywhere. Fall in love with your point of sale. Fall in love with Arrived. This is Andy Crouch, and welcome to the Beer Edge Podcast. One of the things that I miss most during the pandemic is getting together with good beer people, writers, brewers, bartenders, and others in the industry, and just shooting the shit, sharing news, trading stories, a little bit of smack talking, some gossip spilling, all over a few beers. I feel very far removed from those days, from meeting up with these good people a few times a year at venues around the country, to almost never leaving the house. It's been a wild year. During the past year, my partner John Hall and I started Beer Edge. Our intention was to create an all-encompassing, multimedia platform from which to deliver quality, entertaining, and informative beer content for the engaged, interested consumer. Our mission is to provide consumers and industry players alike with a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of better, flavorful beer. And along the way, we're trying to capture the essence and passion of brewers, both big and small, foreign and domestic each of whom has a distinctive and colorful story to go along with the beautiful beers that they produce. We've done this through a mixture of podcasts, a newsletter, and on our website, beeredge.com. John's Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast has hosted some of the smartest and most engaging folks in the beer industry, bringing their listeners along for a ride. If you haven't already done so, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, listen in, and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Details about back episodes are also available on BeerEdge.com. As frequent listeners will know, here on the Beer Edge podcast, we dig deep into important issues facing the beer industry. This year, we've heavily covered all angles of COVID, talked with industry and thought leaders about the lack of diversity and inclusion in craft beer, and discussed the future of beer media. As I said, I miss discussing issues of substance facing the beer industry over beers with smart people. Back in March, right before the long quarantine set in, John and I traveled up to Portland, Maine to speak at a beer conference. On the night before the conference, John and I hit up some of our favorite breweries around Portland, including Allagash, where we ran into draft beer genius and longtime industry stalwart Neil Witte, who was also speaking the next day. We headed back into town, where we met up with fellow beer writer Carla Jean Lauder at Novari Res. We debated, argued, and celebrated beer for hours before retiring to a local dive bar for round after round of karaoke. It turned out to be the last real night out that any of us have had for the rest of the year. In this conversation, John and I get the gang back together, with Neil and Carla joining us. We've also invited our buddy Josh Noel of the Chicago Tribune back on the show. Josh is the author of the excellent book, Barrel-Aged Stout and Selling Out, about the sale of Goose Island to Anheuser-Busch InBev. Folks, Christmas is coming up, and this book makes a great holiday gift for your loved ones. 
Carla is a beer writer based just outside of Portland, Maine, and the creator of the Is This Beer Name Idea Okay? A flowchart that may save your brewery some serious social media fallout. And Neil? Well, Neil's a master Cicerone, a former draft quality ambassador for the Brewers Association, and an independent draft specialist and owner of Tapstar. We recorded this interview in two parts, over Zoom, so keep in mind if the audio ever gets a bit choppy. And we'll have the second part for you next week. So welcome to a new episode of the Beer Edge podcast. We're thrilled to have with us some, some excellent folks here. Uh, first of all, we have the occasional co-host, but usually you know, off doing his own podcast, John Hall. Welcome, Hello. John. I'm going to be popping in and out. I have to get back over to Studio A to finish up my other show, which is going on right now. Yes, you, you, he's wearing his, for those who cannot see the Zoom, because this is an audio podcast, we have John wearing his Steal This Beer shirt, so he's, he's promoing <laughs> his, his other side gigs. Uh, also with us, we have from Maine, uh, beer writer Carla Lauder. Hello. Uh, we have another beer writer, Josh Noel from the Chicago Tribune. Josh, how are you doing? So much more than that. Doing good, doing good. Is he? Is he, though? I suppose. Yeah, lately he's been on fire with some stories that maybe we'll talk about tonight. And joining us from the great state of Missouri, we have our good friend, Neil Witte. How you doing, Neil? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Neil's also a writer in his own in his own right. Yeah, a devil. That's good. Um, and so tonight we're gonna we're just kind of doing an end of the year wrap up. We're talking about you know a variety of things that happened, and this was kind of a little bit the year that wasn't. You know, in terms of uh, in terms of past years, we would all probably have seen each other quite a few times, and you know, at, at craft beer conference or craft brewers conference and GABF and other other events. Uh, but this year, it was it was not meant to be. So I guess I'd start with. Yeah, we'll start with Josh. How has the pandemic impacted the brewing scene uh, where you live in Chicago? Eh, not really much at all. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it is. Uh, I mean, it's been. It's obviously the story of the year. It's it's the everything of the year. Uh, the businesses doing well here are down thirty, forty percent. Those are the ones doing well. Uh, those not doing well are down like ninety percent. Um, but what's interesting so far is that everyone so far has sort of stitched it together more or less here. We've had a couple of breweries go out, unfortunately one just uh, this last week, a very small suburban brewery that didn't have much traction in sort of the broader area, but uh, was well liked in their little, little corner of, of the, the Chicago land area. But not certainly not one of the bigger ones is my point of the 200-ish we have around here. Um, so it's it's interesting to me that we've we've you know uh, right as the pandemic hit, uh, people were forecasting doom and gloom. The Brewers Association said I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's something some kind of prediction like forty percent, fifty percent, sixty percent. It was something. Yeah. Uh, what was it? How many? It was fifty percent, if I remember correctly. 50, from like stood to go out of business in the next three, four months if shutdowns lingered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there've been obviously the, where the, the shutdowns have varied place to place in Chicago, we've had two major ones and we're in the midst of one now, no indoor business and no indoor business in Chicago and December basically means no business. Um, so all that said though, we've only really had just a, a 
couple few breweries that have had to go out of business or chosen to go out of business. So they're, they're finding a way, obviously things could look different in three months. Hopefully they, they don't because no one wants to see small businesses disappear and people lose jobs. But uh, you know, there have been a lot of furloughs. Um, Like I said, everyone is down, but people, you know, drinkers, uh, beer drinkers have, have, have stood up in places have been uh, a lot of the, the brewery owners I've talked to have been really heartened by the way, they've been supported by their local communities and people who want to see them survive, uh, which gets to sort of one of the, you know, the things that I think has gotten craft beer to this point of 8,200 plus breweries and counting is sort of that relationship with the consumer, something very different than, you know, what a dry cleaner has with its customer. Um, so yeah, bottom line is it's been, it's been, it's been a massive hit, but it, it, uh, it is, you know, soldiered on and hopefully continues to. John, early in the pandemic, the BA released, as we were talking about, a set of surveys of members about how long they could survive under shutdown conditions. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, they said, you know, they had released at least two, two surveys. The first one was kind of the doom and gloom that Josh was talking about. But the second one, they heard from, they said, 84% of the responding breweries believed that they could not last six months. Yeah. So it has now been eight months since that survey was released. And we've seen, as Josh was noting... <laughs> You know, a surpri- maybe surprisingly few closings, and and that doom and gloom has not come to pass. Why do you think the numbers haven't been worse? I, I don't know if the numbers are accurate, to be honest with you. Mm. So it, you have to think about it this way. Josh mentioned a very small brewery uh, in his city that closed. Josh pays attention to the breweries that are closing. Local news media is decimated these days, and a business closing isn't necessarily going to garner a Google alert because nobody's writing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these breweries that are doing 400, 600, 800 barrels of beer a year, which barely move the needle, um, if they've decided to close, we might not hear about it because we've never heard of them to begin with. And, 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 and so I think that when the actual numbers at the end of the year come out with the TTB, of who's renewing their license and not, um, that's going to give us a more accurate picture. And I hope that the numbers aren't bad because, you know, I like having breweries around. Um, But I also think that the next couple of weeks, as people start to look at what 2021 can bring them versus what 2020 did, uh, there's going to be some really tough, you know, around the office decisions that are going to have to be made by a lot of small breweries saying like, do we have the capital to even make it through, you know, Q1 of 2021. Um, and I'm not here to do doom and gloom, but I've been having a lot of conversations over the last couple of weeks and the end of the year, the, you know, fiscal budgets that are coming due, uh, have a lot of people really nervous. Yeah. And if I can do that real quick, um, the other, the other thing that, that has been so kind of frustrating about all of this is that really, because this pandemic was an unexpected event, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody could have predicted the magnitude and the timing of this happening is that those breweries that put out a bunch of debt or expansion plans or laid down a lot of money in the beginning of the year, anticipating a huge summer, uh, are in just a, a horrible position right now because they were not able to make up for that investment in capacity or that investment in the canning line that they added or the extra production facility or the second location. And a lot of them put down that money and now are absolutely crippled with that debt, having not had a summer to kind of do anything to service that debt. 
Um, and in New England, um, where I'm at, we're also incredibly reliable on, you know, summer bringing people back into the black. Um, you know, that that's how they survive their winter is if you have to have a good summer to make it through the, by the way, it's negative 10 degrees out and seven people came to your tasting room today in February. Like that's just the, the reality of the situation. And what we're, happen what we're having happen now is that those who, you know, survive the summer are basically adding up their receipts and going, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and, and I, again, hate to be gloom and doom, but it really has to do with where their balance sheet was on March 1st. Did they just put out all this money for new equipment or new, you know, investments? And, you know, those that did, it doesn't matter how good or bad their beer is, they don't have the capital because they're running on that thin, thin, thin margin. They don't have the capital to keep going and to service that debt at the same time. Yeah. yeah, and I I think you know looking at at also at you know what Bart was talking about early on in the pandemic, uh, those numbers where so many people were saying I can't last four months or I can't last six months, mm -hmm. you know that was I you know if I remember correctly that was probably around like May when those numbers were coming out. Oh, it was earlier so, than that. Yeah, and, and yeah, if not earlier, so things were looking really really bad. And, uh, and, you know, we had a little bit better summer than those first couple months, obviously. People did start coming back out again uh, and, and things picked up a little bit. And, you know, the tendency when you put out those surveys when things are really bad, you know, and I was, I remember looking at what, what was happening just with my own personal business going, oh my God, like, I don't know how long, I don't know if I'm going to last, you know, three months like this, you know, I mean, it's easy to, to be hyperbolic about responding to surveys like that when things are looking pretty bad that week. Um, but, you know, with a decent summer, uh, you know, things change a little bit and people have pivoted fairly nicely. I've no, that was one of the things that I've been encouraged about, you know, in, in my area, at least, and from what I've been hearing around the country, too, is a lot of places have, have pivoted where they can. Now, obviously, it's not making up for all that lost business. But I mean, you know, some of my friends that own breweries here in Kansas City have pivoted quite nicely to uh, package and to go and have been, you know, uh, making what could have been terrible losses into manageable losses. Um, so, you know, and, you know, I was just, Bart's got some new, you know, he just, uh, you know, I was just reading earlier today that, uh, he was saying that, uh, craft is on pace for similar or fewer closures in 2020 than what we saw in 2019. Uh, really? Yeah. So he's, I mean, he's got his finger on the, on the pulse there. So I'm not sure, uh, how much of that is just, you know, closings flying under the radar because, you know, he's uh, he's fairly in tune with that. But what I do, what I am afraid of is that as we go back into the winter, we've already got some pretty big urban area uh, shutdowns again. You know, New York City is closing down as of Monday, I, I, I think is what it is. Uh, so, you know, Chicago with no in-person dining. So as things really start to 
shut down again, it's going to get more difficult again. So the places that have been kind of limping by over the summer and maybe lasted three or four months longer than they thought they would when they were asked about it in April or May, you know, maybe they don't make it through January, February, March. I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but, you know, maybe it's kind of a delayed uh, result of everything that's been happening. I've been impressed with the resiliency of American breweries. And I think they, they had a lot of pessimism in the early days because, you know, they had not experienced a shutdown before. And, you know, suddenly they, you know, their businesses were no longer allowed to be open. But as you, as you noted, Neil, the pivot has been maybe the word of the year for all business, if, and certainly in the craft beer industry is, you know, I think we came into the early months of the year heads, you know, fully on tilt, taking a look at hard seltzer and worried about what that was going to do to craft beer, <laughs> only to have, you know, the entire rug pulled out from underneath us. But I think, you know, craft brewers have done well to try to, whether it's, you know, these, these breweries, um, you know, doing the best they can to do home delivery, or opening up some additional markets, you know, we're seeing, you know, places like, you know, three Floyds, I have now in my fridge here in, in Boston, because, you know, and part due to the pandemic that they had to ship, you know, beer a little further and a little wider. And Trillium was suddenly able to deliver beer to my front door, whereas before I'd have to go and stand in an hour long line at some of these places. So I think that some of these places are pivoting and doing the best they can. But then again, it gets them, you know, where they're still may not be making much in the way of money or they're, you know, they're doing enough to get by, which is what a lot of breweries have said. I think it would have been interesting to see what would have happened you know, if a pandemic had hit like this had hit five to seven years ago, you know, before, you know, the yeah. industry really moved to the and embrace fully embraced the taproom model. Because I think, you know, taproom is where, you know, places were basically printing money. And that's why we have, you know, almost 9,000 breweries in this country yeah. is because of that tap model. But if it had been back years ago, when distribution was still king, um, I, you know, this might have been a different situation. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, the big question I have in, in my mind, and I was, you know, speaking with somebody about this just the other day, um, is, you know, in Kansas City, at least, we haven't had any breweries shut down. And I, I hope it stays that way. I, I'm not optimistic we'll make it through to next spring that, that in that same way. But, uh, but, you know, on the other hand, you look at the on-premise retail business, and it's, you know, it's turning into a bloodbath. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it makes me wonder how, you know, like, what's the big difference in, in business? Like, why is that happening? Like, what's the big difference there between, you know, what's happening with bars and restaurants versus breweries, including, you know, breweries that relied 100% on taproom sales. Uh, and, you know, and brewery, you know, running a brewery is, uh, is a very capital intensive business. These people, you know, it's not like they don't have huge debts. So, you know, it's, uh, uh, there's some real resilience being shown in this industry right now. We have seen some interesting stories during this pandemic of, you know, some, you know, I think for a long time, craft breweries and politics didn't really mix. There really wasn't a lot of discussion about it. But then when we, you know, especially when there were 1,500 or 2,000 breweries, you know, they all were somewhat similarly minded or, or didn't really get into politics. But now with so many breweries in this country, you know, we're starting to see 
some some breweries, both on the conservative and the liberal sides, um, you know, making news, whether it's you know beers called defund the police or ones that are, are borderline or over the line of you know homophobic or racist. Um, we and you know when it comes to pandemic, we've also seen a lot of places take umbrage at at the government coming in and telling them how to do business or whether or not they can do business. Uh, one of the stories I'd like to hear a little bit more about is from Carla. Tell, <laughs> yes, as you know exactly what's coming. <laughs> Carla, can you tell us the story of Rick Savage and Sunday River Brewing? Uh, okay, all right. So um, I should preface this with, you know, for anybody listening who doesn't know anything about the beer industry in Maine, we have um, about 160 to 180 breweries in the in the state. They are all mostly uh, wonderful folks. They try their hardest. Everything is great. We have a Democratic governor uh, who has actually done a lot of active work to try to protect our state from coronavirus. We put in travel restrictions pretty early. We had corona, um, we had quarantine uh, regulations for people who were coming in from out of state. Um, and we put a mask mandate on way earlier than a lot of states. And we have some really good statistics about how low we've kept based, based on our population due to those actions and due to the very clear communication from our from our governor, you know, kind of throughout. We've been really like the, the green little state in the corner of the red map, you know, of everything that's been happening here. Um, and we're kind of proud of that. And, and but, you know, there are, reper there are definitely repercussions for businesses. We haven't, uh, you know, throughout the peak of the summer, no indoor dining was allowed. So that was a problem, um, uh, you know, for a lot of restaurants, you know, they just didn't have a way to eat outside, those things. So there's always gonna be a little bit of like pushback here. However, uh, one of the owners of a brewery in Bethel, Maine, um, which is a very small town in Oxford County, um, is called Sunday River Brewing Company, and they are near Sunday River uh, ski area, but not actually officially affiliated with Sunday River. And the owner there, his name is Rick Savage, as you mentioned, and he has just decided that he is going to be the martyr for all of the businesses in Maine that are affected by the coronavirus and that he is he thinks that Janice, Janet Mills is a dictator and that so he has openly for the last six months been defying every order that the governor has put down. So he's not having his employees be masked. He's not social distancing. He's, he's letting people eat indoors. He was letting people eat indoors before they were allowed. He got shut down by the Liquor Commission because when you don't, uh, when you don't uh, abide by health rules, uh, the Liquor Commission's like, you don't have a liquor license anymore. And then he continued to be open for longer than that. So there's been this saga of this guy who's trying to be this like patriot and a you know martyr for the cause. But what he's really doing is just basically he wants to be famous and he's putting a lot of people at personal risk. Um, and very recently I've been I've been keeping up with this story because originally when it happened, I was just very angry that he was really giving the whole brewery industry a bad name, right? Everybody is bending over backwards, doing everything possible to stay open, to stay safe, to protect their customers. And here's a guy basically doing the polar opposite of that. Um, recently, they basically shut him down and sued him and, and had a restraining order in this whole thing. But he operated for 100 days without a license. Like he's been shut down by the state five times. And now he's using that as an excuse to say that our governor's, you know, coming after him. And it's like, well, you keep disobeying the laws. I and mean, that's what happens when you don't do that. Um, so we've been kind of trying to balance 
talking about this guy being an outlier because he really is an outlier compared to the rest of the brewery, but also just shaking our heads because he's friends with Tucker Carlson. Tucker, Tucker has a, has a, um, has a uh, vacation home near this brewery. So he's been on national news. Then when you get all these people, you know, Facebook comments up the wazoo, you know, kind of trying to defend this guy. But I think the worst part of this whole thing, it's not just a political, like, oh, it's, it's a, you know, a, a difference of opinion or, you know, the anti-maskers and the whatever. He's raising money, theoretically, for people's legal fees to fight against the governor. He's raised almost $200,000 and he's basically going to keep it. There's absolutely no like lawyer's fees that he's paying for other people. He's being enriched by being a jerk. <laughs> so as much as I hate to say it, I hate every time we end up being on national news for him because it drives me nuts. It's like, this is so the polar opposite of everything else that is happening in Maine, but ugh. <laughs> so if you've been following my Twitter at all, you might be up to date on this and I'm happy to provide more details for anybody who cares, but oh my God, what a, what a horrible and immature way to to basically react to what's going on right now. It just sounds like quite a grift. Mm. That's the thing. He wants to be famous and he wants to be rich. And his, you know, so, and this is the quickest way that he could think of to do that. So seems, seems like it has been reasonably effective. Uh, and he certainly get, get garnered a lot of, a lot of publicity for himself and for the publication or for the place, which, you know, over the years has not necessarily produced, you know, the greatest beer when I've been up there, but, uh, you know, I suppose to each their own, but we've also seen a lot of positive stories out of the industry this year, whether it's, you know, some collaboration, nationwide collaboration beers through Other Half or, or Black, oh, yeah. is, Black is Beautiful. What are some, of you know, I guess we can start with, um, with Neil um, or anybody else who wants to jump in. What are some of the positive stories that you've seen out there this year? Ones that have sort of given you, given you some hope despite, you know, sort of all of the darkness that we've experienced. Well, you know, a couple uh, a couple things that pop into my mind are, are a couple of uh, smaller breweries here in Kansas City that, you know, relied heavily on, on taproom sales. And, and this is, you know, a story that has been repeated many times around the country that, but these are places that, uh, you know, have, have switched fairly quickly to to-go sales and have, you know, succeeded uh, and not just been making up for, you know, not just, you know, uh, doing, you know, 80% of what they were, but actually still growing their businesses. And, you know, they've, they've uh, adjusted quickly and, and pivoted, so to speak, uh, to the new environment and have, have done a really fantastic job of doing it and are actually, you know, thriving in the new environment. Uh, uh, and not everybody is able to do that. And, you know, it's, it's helped by the fact that they're making amazing beer, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, darlings of the industry here and that, you know, they've always been relatively popular, but, you know, they were, uh, there were a couple breweries that you might've pegged to be, one's hardest hit by the pandemic, but have actually emerged uh, quite nicely, um, you know, and, and done pretty well. Uh, that's, I mean, those are the stories that I, I think are the most positive or the places that are succeeding despite all of the roadblocks road being placed in front of them. Um, you know, that's the type of thing that, uh, that I think is, has been one of the most positive developments that I've been seeing. Arrived all the way. It's a system built by people who worked in the industry and they regularly check in with their clients for not only support, 
but ways they can potentially grow or help you pivot and readjust as needed. I've worked with all the major systems out there, and I would never pick another service, says Katie Neerling, the GM of Scott Brewstillery, about Arrived. Josh, how about you? What do you, what have you seen that on the positive side during the pandemic? Uh, well, you guys have already sort of nodded to the fact that the, the word of the year uh, is pivot. Uh, and just the, the way that these breweries, these small businesses, where the business is usually something that these guys, at least in, in my experience, a lot of the brewery owners I've talked to, which is a, a good number at this point, you know, they get into it for the beer, not the business. And the ones who get into it for the business <laughs> usually don't get the beer part, right? And that's not going to be a recipe for success. Uh, we, we, you know, we can see through those brands pretty easily. Um, so these guys are getting in and, and women are getting into it for the beer. They're figuring out the business and they've had to figure out the business like never before in 2020. And they've just... Uh, They've dug deep. I mean, uh, they've, you know, a lot of them have been pretty frank about their struggles when asked. I mean, it's, it's hard for everyone right now. Um, so a lot of appreciation for those who have taken the time to open up and, you know, a lot of times it's, I've reached out and said, you know, I want to talk about what you're facing and going through right now. And they say, I don't even know how to talk about it. I don't know what to say. I don't have any answers. and I say that that's okay. I, I'm interested in the questions you're grappling with. I'm not, you know, no one really has the answers. I just want to talk about what, what you're going through right now. And questions are more questions than answers is okay. Um, and despite having more questions than answers, uh, they've rolled up their sleeves. They've worked hard. They've made some, you know, everyone's made sacrifices and they've uh, largely figured it out to this point in, in one way or another. Uh, and that is by, you know, constantly just changing tracks and figuring out new things. And uh, uh, Andy, I think it was you that that talked about delivery. I mean, that's been that's been a a, a, a game changer for s- several breweries here. And you know, it'd be pretty cool if it if it lingered. Um, but you know, it, yeah. it's crafting a patio on the fly, figuring out how to do local yeah. delivery on the fly, figuring out how to do farther flung delivery on the fly and where that delivery should be. And, uh, and all while continuing to innovate and make great beer. And, um, it's, just, it's been pretty impressive to see these small business owners, uh, you know, navigate a crisis that's in no one's business plan. Uh, but they figured it out. And then, and the other side of the coin, as I sort of alluded to earlier is, uh, again, the relationship between customer and, and, and business. Uh, we don't care where we buy a lot of our stuff. We don't care, uh, you know, about a lot of the, the, the products we buy. There isn't that intimate connection, but there, there is in this industry. And that's one of the things that makes the industry, uh, fun and rewarding and fascinating and, uh, and it's, uh, that has been something that I think has gotten these businesses, a lot of these businesses through, uh, this quote unquote unprecedented year, which of course it is. Um, and, uh, you know, people want to see these, these small breweries and their communities survive. I mean, and I, I can only speak to what I see in Chicago. I assume this is being replicated all over the place, but you know, people are, turning out they're buying curbside they're I've, i can't even tell you how many times i've heard uh stories of 
people tipping a hundred percent or 150%. Um, Oh yeah. And saying, you know, take care, take care of your staff. I mean, that is not a a one or two time thing. That is, that was a constant, especially early in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of hardship, but also it's, uh, you know, some, it's been sort of inspiring and heartwarming the way that uh, people have worked hard and come together and, and looked out for, for one another and looked out for their, uh, for their employees when they're able. I will say I've been very impressed with the creativity and the also pushback on some of those old uh, rules about distro and, and delivery and things being kind of temporarily put aside. Like we have a third party delivery company in Maine now that it doesn't take fees from the brewers. It just takes fees from the people who are ordering the delivery. Um, So it's basically like, it's essentially like ordering an Uber to have somebody pick up a six pack of beer and bring it to you, uh, you know, to work around. Yeah. It's, it's worked out really well and they've, you know, been able to hire people and be been able to kind of reach parts of the state that aren't Portland, you know, which is also awesome. So if I want to, I can order a six pack now and have it brought to me. Um, and it's just some of the creativity, like in New England, it's freaking cold as heck in here in the winter. I'm sorry. It just is. It's awful. And, but like I, last weekend I went to Rising Tide and they have those cool like little bubble tents that have heaters in them and they like recirculate the air and it's like four four people maximum and that are supposed to be all in your household and it's like they're trying things and they're trying to listen to their feedback and being creative and thinking out of the box and I have to give everybody kudos for that because it would be very easy to just throw up your hands and be like this is just ridiculous I'm done or to freak out and say you know the pandemic has ruined my life I'm going to you know be a jerk now. Uh, but everybody's trying so hard. But some of the creativity, I hope, continues after this. Like, I'd love to continue to be able to have delivery and curbside options even after this is all done. Like, that's a big, you know, for people who don't live in the middle of the city, that's huge. Like, it's great. Well, um, that's that's actually the big thing in yeah. my mind it, it, as a positive story that's come out of this. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the National Brewers Association got decimated this year and, you know, they, they laid off a lot of their staff. And uh, that sort of tells me, you know, what they think the national landscape is going to look like for for, for, mm. for quite some time. And, you know, Josh early on mentioned that this is going to be the story of the year. I'm going to argue that this is going to be a story of a generation at this point, like yeah. as, a, as a journalist, like this is anything that happens for the next 20 years is going to have some sort of COVID-19 lockdown, et cetera, whatever uh, ripple to it. But as we saw the national BA Brewers Association, um, you know, change and become sort of a, a little bit of a shell or refocus their efforts on Capitol Hill and a few other things like that. We've seen the, the local guilds rise, and that's been the fun story for me to follow is right. the state laws changing. So, yes, right off the bat, governors in progressive states and smart states were saying, OK, like you need to go deliver your beer, go deliver your beer. And then yeah. they were saying, OK, like you need to you know, do curbside pickup, do curbside pickup. Now that you've taken that genie out of the bottle, it's or that toothpaste out of the tube, it's going to be really hard to put it back in. And the local guilds are really gearing up for a fight to say, okay, this worked. There wasn't chaos. There wasn't anarchy. Let's make this permanent. 
And that actually, to me is going to be a positive that I think is going to happen going forward. I see. I, I don't think it's going to happen going forward. Fight I actually me, Josh. This, this, well, I'd rather not because I wish you were right. But I actually had this chat this week with someone from the State Brewers Guild here. And uh, that person said that basically that, the, you know, the distributors in Illinois and I assume in most states have a ton of power and lobbyists and they're they will fight that tooth and nail going forward. Right. The brewers uh, and I in think your state just need to have a bigger bribe. That's but, the way it works in other, Illinois. But the other thing is that there's nothing theoretically stopping the <laughs> distributors from providing that service. Why couldn't the distributors then be the delivery third person, third party company. Fine. Let them do it. Like if they're going to complain about it, taking away from their thing, they could make it their jam. This is the same thing with like Uber and taxis when it first came out It's like, yeah, you could have had a taxi app for your taxi company, but you didn't do it. So like in, to me, I think there's an opportunity here. Like I still am waiting for a distributor to come out with a beer of the month box that I can subscribe to that has fresh IPAs in it that they send to me on the first of the month from all over the place that are, I would sign up for that in a second if they would every month give me like the best of the new beers that came out this month. Like, but they don't. Yeah, they, that, that, like That could be, I mean, I think you just described what could be the compromise there. In but, Illinois, at least the breweries are doing the direct delivery themselves, but maybe the distributors getting involved wouldn't right. be the compromise. I don't know. I, I don't care as a consumer, if it gets to me in a way that I can, you know, in, in, you know, that I can get it in a way that's convenient to me that then pays the distributor and pays the brewery. Fine. Like, I think we're pretty far down this road though, of like the, what ifs I, I, for me, the States that declared breweries essential businesses. Yeah. Uh, the states gave up a little bit of leverage and the smart guilds and there are a lot of smart guilds that are out there are seeing that now saying like, well, you know, in January of 2020, you weren't paying attention to me by March of 2020, you were calling me essential. So now that I'm essential, you know, what are you going to do to make sure that I continue to be essential? And, and, and I think there's a spotlight shown on a lot of breweries that, you know, state legislatures now are recognizing that, you know, sure, a lot of these places have deep pocketed lobbyists that are trying to keep breweries down. The pandemic took some of the bloom off of their roses and the smart guilds, I think going forward are going to capitalize off of that and say, okay, like we're essential. And this is what we need to continue to be essential and continue to grow the economy. Because if COVID-19 is going to be the story of a generation so is the economy for the next 10 years. And I think there's something to be said also for the fact that consumers have gotten a little bit used to uh, mm -hmm. these changes. And I think, you know, consumers yeah. have gotten used to beer being able to, you know, be delivered to your house or having the accessibility of, of takeaway cocktails and, and other things. And, and in this country, <laughs> as, as compared to a lot of countries you know, around the world, we have some very antiquated notions with regards to alcohol. And we've always treated our adult population as if they were, you know, children not to be trusted when it comes to booze. And I think the pandemic is sort of, as Carla noted, is sort of shattered some of those, those myths, those longstanding misconceptions. So I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, I think the fights are, are certainly going to happen, um, whether or not they're, you know, how, how 
you know, sort of bare knuckle they're going to be when, you know, we get on the other side of this and, and try to determine, you know, because I think distributors have in some parts been, you know, obviously big parts of their business have been impacted with, you know, on-premise and draft, but they also have managed to be able to maintain some business when, when it comes to, to packaging and off-premise, you know, whether or not, you know, that they want to take up this fight against, you know, all of these smaller brewers who've had a much rougher time of it, uh, especially when consumers have, have enjoyed some of these, these benefits and these changes, um, whether it's, you know, you know, having restaurants, you know, taking up sidewalks and in, in the streets and outdoor dining in ways that we see in Europe, but have not experienced here in the States. I think it's going to be an, it's, it's teeing up an interesting battle over the next couple of years. Absolutely. I, but don't doubt the, the state distributor associations and their resolve into roll back as many of these things as they can. And a lot of, a lot of them have some real power. I mean, right. You know, yeah. uh, especially here in, in Missouri, you know, we've, uh, you know, the there's a there's a lot of power in these associations. Uh, you know, uh, Texas fought for a long time against uh, just some real basic, uh, you know, basic relaxation of some laws for brewers there for a long, long time against the distributor association. So it's going to be some real battles. There's going to be there, we've already seen some things become uh become permanent i think oklahoma relaxed some laws early on and then made them permanent and i don't remember exactly what they were i remember seeing something about that but i think a lot of these things are are going to be uh fought and and it's going to be a hard fight and some of it's going to get rolled back for sure but at the same time there is going to be there is that element of you know we never did this before because you know it could end up badly but you know now that we've done it oh you know the sky didn't fall after all so you know maybe it's not the end of the world if we do this right uh, there's going to be some of that, but, uh, you know, don't doubt that the distributors are going to fight tooth and nail to get their piece back. But uh, yeah, and the other thing that's happening up here, at least in Maine, is that we're also kind of, you know, it's kind of boring, but we're also redefining what is a tasting room, what is a brewery, what is a bar, what is a restaurant. And I think that that's going to have longstanding percussions, repercussions too, because the reason we've had to make these things more concrete and clear, the definitions between them is because the restrictions are different. Do you serve food? Are you indoors? Are you, you know, X, Y, Z. And I think that as we've, you know, kind of had these, you know, kind of semantic discussions about what is a tasting room, what is a brewery, how is it different from a bar, that will also lay the groundwork for, you know, just kind of being treated differently as the commercial entities that they are by the state, by the, you know, liquor board and all that kind of other thing. I think those discussions will have long lasting repercussions too. Um, you know, it's not the most you know interesting thing, but at the same time, it's like, no, we're really talking about, we had all these discussions and now we've come out on the other side. What do we do with that information? You know, yeah. um, you know, who, who wins and who loses and who still needs to fight? Um, we, have, we have seen in, you know, during this pandemic, you know, consumer uh, behavior change. We've seen business behavior change with each of us personally. You know, how do you think your behavior has changed? You know, your relationship with beer has changed during the pandemic. I can say, speak for myself. You know, despite you know, I, <laughs> loaded I've got a, questions, man. Yeah, I, yeah, and I, that's that's why I'm offering to go first. So, you know, for me, 
you know, it used to be years ago, you know, before I had you know, young kids at home, I would be going out several nights a week and I rarely, if ever drank beer at home, I, you know, drank maybe the occasional cocktail or a glass of wine or the occasional beer, but really I have always enjoyed, you know, drinking beer uh, around other people and, and in, in company and in bars. And in recent years, that's sort of minimized a little bit, but I still was never a huge drinker at home. Um, pandemic hits and that obviously changes. There really were not, you know, much, there were not many opportunities to, you know, because I'm in Massachusetts where we were hit very, very hard along with John in New Jersey and in New yeah. York. In New York. Uh, I think, you know, compared to the rest of the country, we have been in this for a really long time in a really serious way. So we have been shut down since very early March uh, in a big way. So, you know, early on, I think it was kind of cute and kind of fun. We didn't know how maybe it'd last a few weeks or a couple months. So, you know, we started drinking through, you know, I started drinking through my cellar, you know, going through all of these old beers. And I thought, oh, this is kind of fun. And then after like two months of that, it got, you know, pardon the pun, really old, really fast. And yeah. Yeah, I am now, you know, there were, I'm sure times when I had a beer or two more than I should have at night. And I think the worst thing I've experienced is waking up hungover in my own house, ha not having left my own house. Uh, I've done that a couple of times and I got to tell you, it is. How did I get in the kitchen? Yeah. I've never <laughs> done that. I have never is. done that. <laughs> Dude, oh, all are liars. It is just, it is just a terrible feeling, but, and, and now I've, you know, I think for my own personal, you know, purchasing habits, you know, I was supporting local breweries early on. And then I think I kind of defaulted into drinking a lot of, you know, Sierra Nevada products. I filled my refrigerator with, with, you know, probably not a great decision with about six cases of various Oktoberfest beers, which I love Oktoberfest, but I got to tell you. Terrific decision. Don't it, yeah. it was, but I am, I, yeah, I am still drinking through it. And it is, I am, I am wishing that I had something else in the house. I got to tell you, and I'm a lager lover, but it is getting, it is getting a little rough, but I'm curious to hear, you know, and, and let's, let's start with Josh as somebody who I know loves drinking at home. Uh, you know, tell me a little bit, you know, how have you, how has your relationship with beer changed? You know, how, you know, what are you doing? You know, where are you drinking? I'm drinking at home. Uh, yeah, no, I've, I've always been a fan of, I love drinking at home. I love my glassware. I love, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I also work from home for, I, I, I sort of crafted my own work from home strategy starting about five, six years ago. Uh, so the, I spent so much time standing in bars and drinking in bars that by the time I had kids that my older is five, uh, I was just kind of like done, you know, I was just like, I'm going to stay home and hang out with my kids and drink beer. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I've long been a huge proponent of drinking beer at home. I've got a lot of it to my wife's chagrin. Uh, I've got a ton of beer glassware that I really nerd out on, which I am currently doing a Twitter thread about. Um, but how has it changed? You know, I don't know if this is tied into the pandemic or not, um, but I was very much an IPA guy. I was never much of a hazy IPA guy. That just never really grabbed me. Um, but over the last six months or so, I've, there's really nothing that satisfies me more than a lager, a Hellas or a Vienna. Um, 
And I, I just find so many IPAs. I mean, a great IPA I still love. I had a, uh, an elevated IPA from La Cumbre in New Mexico. It's one of my very favorite beers. I had one tonight. Uh, unfortunately, that beer is not distributed in Chicago. Um, but I was lucky enough to get my hands on a couple cans. And yeah, look at you with the beer mail drops. <laughs> what, well, actually, what happened is I have family that lives in New Mexico, and they just drove up here. To, uh, <laughs> to drop you off some beer, it. and you said thanks, leaving on the driveway, six well, feet away, yeah. and now turn around you, and go you, back. No, you get to stay here and spend four or five days with your grandchildren. But thanks for bringing me some beer. Um, so every everyone wins. But I, yeah, I don't I don't know if this shift towards sort of lighter and uh, it, it's just so satisfying to me in this really fundamental way that. An IPA can, um, but it just, I don't know, lager just scratches an itch. And I know, Andy, you were a big lager guy. Uh, you've been a lager guy for years. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I feel like there's a, there, there is a sort of common trajectory in craft beer where you, you start out as an IPA person and then you move towards, you know, then you find the nuance. Um, so maybe I'm just that cliche, but... Um, yeah, I just, I've just made this. It, it used to be seven or eight out of every 10 beers for me was probably pretty hot forward. And now seven or eight out of every 10 beers I drink is probably a lager in some form or fashion. And again, whether that's tied to the pandemic, I don't know. And being at home so much and, uh, you know, having that much more time with my kids, I don't know. But that, at that, that is the evolution that's happened, and I am A-OK with it. Mm. Neil, how about you? Um, you know, I've, I've been kind of uh, seeing myself in that same kind of trend with uh, drinking a lot of lager beer, uh, drinking, you know, Pilsner, Hellas. I'm, I'm drinking local a lot. Um, a, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine who opened a brewery about, I don't know, maybe 16 months ago here in Kansas City makes amazing lager beers. Uh, it's a brewery called Alma Mater. Um, and Oh, yeah, you've told me about them. Yeah, he's he's doing a really fantastic job. And I've been drinking a lot of a lot of his beers and uh, Casey Beer Company makes German uh, German style lager beers. And they both do a really fantastic job. And I've been drinking a lot of that. But it kind of, you know, I, I think I was kind of trending that way already. And it's it's kind of weird. It, it's it's almost like the the zeitgeist of craft beer professionals right now. If you look, at least if you look at like beer Twitter and social media, it seems like there's a big there's a trend towards that. Uh, they seem to be growing, at least in in the circles that that I'm in and that I pay attention to. Um, so that that's one thing for me. I mean, I I have been drinking more beer at home um, because I'm drinking less beer out. Uh, but I, I, I've been making a point to be hyper local. Uh, you know, I feel guilty if I'm buying something other than something from a local brewer. I actually feel bad if I'm buying it from the grocery store. I'm like, ah, I need to be going and buying it from the source so they get all the money. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, I, you know, I, I do, I do feel bad if I'm not supporting local breweries at every possible moment when I'm making a beer purchase. Uh, Carla that's, has, yeah, that's Carla the biggest thing affected me. Carla has been doing some good stuff on on Twitter in recent months, trying to promote the local Portland mm. and and Maine beer scenes. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that and and how pandemic has sort of impacted your beer 
experience. Yeah. So um, as somebody who writes about beer and also has, uh, you know, my significant other tends to work nights, I used to love going to a bar, striking out random conversations with people. And so like some of my social drinking is, I miss it. I miss it quite a bit because it was not necessarily that I would plan to have six people show up at 6 p.m. at said bar and that was the plan. It was more like I would go out and see who was there and run into them and then we would go to karaoke and it would be great. Like, so these (laughs) are things that like the spontaneity of any of my drinking has gone to down the toilet it's gone like there's everything is planned however um however i i have been uh uh long story short there's a chalice list at novari res that i've been chasing for years which is you have to drink 220 different uh beers at novari res which is a beer bar in portland and then you get a chalice and then it's like a you're part of the secret society thing you were chasing that when they were when we were there in february (laughs) yeah and you know how many i have left I have 15 flipping beers left. Oh my God. So I have been- So close. So I have been, when when it was first like completely shut down and you couldn't drink in person there, I went and they, I ordered bottles that I needed for the list and they checked them off for me. So I still have those bottles in my basement. I haven't actually drank them, but at least they're checked off on my list. But the thing, but what I have done is that I've always done a combination of drinking at home and drinking in public for me, it's not necessarily about the actual beer. It's about the fact that I miss the social aspect of going out for a beer. So I'm still buying very local. I'm trying to do curbside. I went to the bubble situation that Rising Tide had set up last week. It was very cool. And like, you know, and and also, you know, doing this all safely and only going to the, you know, places that are, you know, taking as many precautions as they can. Also, I work from home, so I don't have exposure to a lot of people. I don't have a lot of risk, but I'm not, I still haven't done anything indoors in eight, nine months. Uh, so it's like, so there's bubbles and there's tents and, but most, most probably relevant to me is that I do live outside of Portland. If I lived in Portland, Portland proper, I would probably be going out more and doing more takeout, doing more things like that, but I'm 45 minutes away. So I have been trying as much as I can to go to the beer stores that I know and buy up the locals. And then when I, you know, have a free day on a weekend, I'll go down to Portland and I will either do a curbside, basically like roundabout where I'll stop at seven places and I'll just stock up. Um, but I'm also, but what I'm trying to do and and to what Andy was mentioning is I'm also trying to express the urgency that does exist in Maine to support these local businesses. I, uh, my most recent kind of big tweet was basically like, you know, how every time a local, you know, establishment goes out of business and everybody goes, oh no, if only I had known, well, here's your freaking warning you need to know that everybody's struggling and treat them like they're on their last legs. And you need to just, like you were saying, over tip, overspend, do what you can. Um, but it's been, it's been a big change because I really do miss like the community third space aspect, the tasting room provided that that's not coming back for a while. And that's disappointing because that's how business is made. That's how, relationships are made that's how friends are made and it's just it's totally different to take that same experience and you know put on a youtube video and drink it at home it's not the same 
John, you have spent a lot of time over the last few years uh, traveling around the country and around the world, yeah. visiting breweries and, and brew pubs and, and bars, you know, across the globe. Um, how many breweries have you visited this year? <laughs> if I had to look, it's, it's fewer than 30. Yeah. And in an average year, how, how many do you think you usually visit? <sighs> a couple hundred. Yeah. Yeah. How so, how is how has this change been for you? <laughs> I, I think it's been more impactful for my wife, uh, more than anybody else. Uh, <laughs> that I'm home because as much as home. I have been. Yeah, uh, but that but that's the thing. Like, it, so people who know me out in the world are are usually pretty surprised when I say, "Oh, I don't drink all that much at home," because they're like, "Well, you make up for it when you're on the road." And um, so, yeah, I have been having more beers at home, um, and lagers or pale ales or you know west coast ipas were typically my go-to i've actually found during covid that i've been going for one imperial stout a bourbon barrel age something or other um you know because it's not something that i would normally drink out in the world um and it's not something that i would drink at home uh, previously because I wasn't really drinking at home. So now that I have the luxury to do so, I'm actually finding a lot of the fun and the nuance that comes with, you know, opening up one of those, you know, on a random Wednesday night and enjoying it. For, for me though, I think the biggest change has been in the interviews that I'm doing because I'm having a lot of mm -hmm. conversations with folks where in the past it would be, I was calling for a specific story and it was, you know, tell me about this new beer that you're making or, oh, you're doing an expansion. Cool. Or, you know, wh whatever it was. I need to now block out like 90 minutes for what used to be a 20 minute conversation or a 20 minute interview because it's turning into a therapy session, oh. um, not just for them, but for me, you know, because it's, how's your pandemic going is a question that I usually start off by asking and everybody has a different answer. And this is a shared experience. And as journalists, as reporters, you know, we're not supposed to be part of the story. And I, I, by and large, I, I, I still subscribe to that and prescribe to that. But when we're all living through the same thing right now, it was like after 9-11 and, and being in this area and covering things, it was impossible not to have thoughts, opinions, emotions about, about a particular, you know, what was happening at the time. And so for me, I'm finding that the conversations that I'm having are actually leading to other unexpected stories. And I'm, you know, either through beer edge or the podcast or whatever, you know, I I'm, I'm finding avenues for those. And that's important because these are things that wouldn't have been otherwise told um, because I would have just been calling in sort of a perfunctory way. And so th that's been the biggest thing for me and that I want to keep that going after, you know, a vaccine comes and we can all be back up in Portland and do karaoke again with please, Carla. Um, please, 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 please. I know. Right. <laughs> But like, but like, but that's, but that's the big thing is that, you know, it's, it was a good reminder as a reporter to not just be focused on the one story, but see where the story takes you. Thanks for listening to the Beer Edge podcast. My partner, John Hall, and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or
wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at andy at with your thoughts. Thanks for your support. Go to Arrive.com to set up a free, customized demo with an Arrived consultant and see how a point of sale can make all the difference in your guest experience, staff satisfaction, and bottom line. Chances are, a switch to Arrive will save you time, money, and a whole lot of headaches. Arrive.com. That's A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com. Because there's no I in Arrived.